for all things early career recruitment, the strategies to help you succeed. We'll help you work with Generation Z with all the information that you'll need. It's the Jack and Ollie Show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Jack and Ollie Show. I'm Jack. And I'm Ollie. And today we have with us Ashley Heaver. Say hi, Ashley. Hi, Ashley. How are you? <laughs> say hi, Ashley. Sorry, that was really bollocks. <laughs> I like it. I think we should keep that. Yeah, okay. say that. Um, that was good. And for anybody who doesn't know, um, Ash is the Talent Acquisition Director, UK and Ireland for Enterprise. And he's been working in the emergent talent space for the last decade with a real passion for diversity and inclusion and is, in fact, a recruitment leader, top 100 Let's start. Well, yeah, so the, the title of today is Volume Recruitment, the Recruiter's Laboratory, uh, which we quite like. In fact, while we're, while we're here, we should probably introduce our other friend, our other guest. This uh, is a big name guest, so <laughs> I feel quite humble to be in the same room as this other guest. So, please. So guys, I've been getting some stick, right? I mean, non-stick. Ironic, non- ironic. Yeah, non-stick. so I've got a frying pan with me, which I bought recently from John Lewis. And, uh, yeah, no, it's just a... Probably one of the best things I've, I've ever. Other bought. big retailers do sell them. Yeah, but not as good as this one. So, yeah. So basically, Jack brought in a nonstick frying pan to the podcast, which I've enjoyed a lot. So we've brought it into the room with us, um, and you can probably see pictures of it on yeah, online. Some pictures up. <laughs> yeah, perfect. Uh, Hopefully, it'll be as interesting. <laughs> exactly. But anyway, so volume recruitment, Sorry. the recruiter's laboratory. So, Jack, why do we choose this as a topic? Um, yeah, thank you, Ollie. Good question. Um, so one of the things we were thinking about, and I'm sure a lot of people find it, is that there's a big difference between volume recruitment and um, other levels of recruitment. And I guess one of the really cool things about volume recruitment is you get to try stuff out and you get to see those results over a shorter period of time. And um, I'm sure you've learned loads of stuff from that process and we'd love to find out a bit more about those things that you've learned. Yeah. I'll do my best. But yeah. it's a really, it was a very good title of the, the session, so well <laughs> Just done. Just to do it justice, shall we? <laughs> yeah, I really hope I can help. Well, uh, Ash, well, go on, you mentioned you've been working at Enterprise uh, for 10 years, so tell us a bit more about your, you, okay. your role, what you've done there. Well, you're partly right, so I started with Enterprise uh, 18 years ago, just recently. So I joined as a as a management trainee. Mm-hmm. Um, to be honest with you, just thought I'm gonna. I was three years out of uni, really struggled to get a job, um, and I thought, oh, this will be quite good for a, a year on my CV. Um, right. And then 18 years later, I'm I'm still here. So oh, wow. I started on the grad program and worked my way up through the through the business, and then about 10 years ago, moved into the um, early talent, stroke recruitment space, and I'm still here today. So, yes. yeah. So you were basically, the management trainee was just the graduate program you were on that you now recruit for. Yeah, so um, that's one of the beauties of enterprise. So we are very much a promote from within. So mm. um, everyone's been there, done it. So they sort of understand what it is like to join as a, as a new starter. And I started in Loughborough, which is where you went to university, Ollie. Absolutely, yeah. And um, yeah, worked more around the East Midlands and then moved over to East Anglia and then down south about 10 years ago, yeah. So it's um, 
But yeah, so like I say, I started there and that's the, the programme we, we recruit for. But the business has changed a lot over, over those 18 years. So yeah. mm-hmm. literally back then, it was probably 99% of all of our hires into the business were graduates. Um, over time, we've launched our placement programme, intern programme. with more experienced hires coming in and with the apprenticeship levy and apprentices being something that... You know, is in the the media a lot. We've been doing apprenticeships for you know five or six years, but you know, really started growing that over the past um, two or three years yeah. as well. It's mm-hmm. a massive change in in ten years to go from ninety nine percent grads to yeah, it is a big mixture. change. And um, you know, and the businesses have got to you know adapt to it. And you're using people like you know like yourselves to really try and help educate and understand the different programs and use you to understand the marketplace. And so we've got. You know, and that's really important to us as a business to have really good partnerships that we can use with with experts in, you know, in those fields as well. So, yeah. So when we look at volume recruitment, yeah. um, what, are, what are we talking when we talk about volume recruitment? About 10. <laughs> so we, so, <laughs> sorry. So we're talking like, you know, 500 plus. Yeah, so um, we'll recruit... My initial forecast for this year was around 850 graduates and around 300 interns, placements and about probably about 100 apprentices into the business. So that's what, you know, that's what we'd be looking for. And that's quite consistent on a on an annual basis. Mm. Um, And that's you want to one of the larger early careers recruiters in the market? Yeah, I think that, yeah, there's a few that, you know, are big, large recruiters. So you've got your um, PWCs, the... Deloitte, you've got your Teach First, Police Now, mm-hmm. um, FDM, and that's yeah. why again, you know, we we try to work with them a little bit to really understand some of the the challenges that those recruiting large volumes. It is very different to those that perhaps are just doing a, a small um, program for ten to twenty. So you know, there's big differences between between those programs yeah. as well. But I guess there's lots of stuff that people can learn from it, though. Yeah, totally. What would you say the biggest challenges are? Um, for volume recruiters, um, so we are slightly unique, I suppose, that we recruit all year round. So we're not just having one intake on one particular day in mm-hmm. October. So we're constantly recruiting, and some of the challenges are, you know, the changing of the business. We've just made a, an acquisition that means now that I am looking at again our recruiting model for that. We've had a change in our strategy in the business, which could mean an additional five hundred graduates coming in. So <laughs> overnight, wow. I know, just five hundred, just that's, an additional five hundred on top of the eight hundred. <laughs> so you know, those sort of things can be quite challenging. So for us as a business, we could win a big you know, brand new accounts and we have to recruit for that and trying to recruit for a graduate at the end of February, beginning of March is, is you know, to start in April isn't always that easy. So you are going out a cycle a little bit with some of the, you know, the traditional programmes that are on offer at universities. And it's, you know, we've taken time to really educate a lot of the different media partners that we have, um, the universities to sort of say these are you know our program is unique so we sort of you know we have to keep it on all the time so it's not just okay here's when you're going to do your assessment centres here's when you're going to do your milk round here's when you're going to close your application so we do adapt you know we're, we are a bit different so there's those challenges for us personally I think it is you know the brand is always going to be a challenge so 
you know, my mum was thrilled when I said I was going to leave my nice job at the bank to go and rent cars for a living. So um, people are not always queuing up to go and, you know, rent cars. So it's just important to us that we talk more about, you know, the opportunities that we have, um, the business, you know, the cars, the product at the end of the day, we're teaching Mm -hmm. everyone how to, how to run a business and, um, and different things. So, when we first opened up our head office internships, I think people again probably associated the car aspects of it. And so we perhaps struggled for IT or marketing, HR. But again, over time, we've had some good successes and our campus brand manager program just means that we have our own employees out on campus talking about it. I think it's becoming more of a thing actually in the early career space when I speak to people that... Um uh, businesses are, are, are not always having a, especially when people have started apprenticeship programs, mm. that the it's not a, um, a set time of the year when they recruit people. It's rolling, and you hear it all the time from people, and they get because it's very often actually in 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 this spaces and a, the HR function is very much top down, so it's the rest of the business. Um, just goes to HR and says, right, we need this additional thing rather than it. And I understand probably it can't happen always the other way around because if you get a big account, you can't predict that you're going to get that. But I think that face that is a new challenge that, okay, some employees have had for a long time. But I think that's becoming more common with um, the other entry level programs that organisations are having. Mm. I think we'll see that more. Yeah, our apprenticeship programme, there isn't a start and end date. Um, again, there's flexibility in that and um, how we go out and market that to schools and colleges. You know, we do have a, yeah. a core thing, but, you know, when things happen in the business, you've got to be able to react to it and you can't just say, oh, we can't bring that on board because we haven't yeah. got a start date until October. So, you know, I'm quite lucky I'm on, you know, I've got a seat at the board table, so I know what's going on in the business all the time. So it's not constantly reacting to it you can try somewhat to plan ahead yeah i was going to say because that sounds a little bit almost chaotic and you may find some um i guess early careers recruiters listening thinking oh my god i have to have i have to know when it finishes i need these to close now like if you come back to law they have very specific times and dates of when everything happens and if you go off kilter for a week it can actually throw quite a lot of Stuff, so. And I think that's one of the things that I love about what I do working in volume is that it is quite unpredictable sometimes yeah. and it isn't everything is set out. I can use my, you know, you have to use your initiative. You've got to think on your feet and you've got to react to, you know, react to the business, which to me makes it more enjoyable, more fun. I have got a lot greyer over the last couple of weeks, <laughs> but... It's, you know, it's, that's the sort of thing that I, I love about my job. And that's yeah. why I've always loved enterprises, because you've got to be flexible in, in what you do. And I think sometimes you can get the further on in your career you get, you lose that element of flexibility and you become less flexible and, yeah. and you know, more resistant to change. And, you know, we've changed a lot in our processes over the last 12 months. And some of the challenges we've faced is that we've always done things a certain way. Mm. And it's trying to get, you know, the business to, to change and adapt to some of the yeah. things that we're changing in recruitment. So like you say, sometimes it can come from top down, but we're mm. trying to get it from, you know, talk to the business about what they need to change and how we can help react to that well, business, yeah. those business changes. Well, well, let's talk through those changes should we go on to the changes? We that was a really good segue I just did, didn't it? it was, yeah, it was, that was 
Yeah. Nice. I liked it. Okay. Um, <laughs> so, right. So, <laughs> the change, the changes you say you kind of have to react to. What then changes have you implemented? To because obviously it wasn't always as flexible as it is today. You've obviously had to adapt certain yeah. projects, processes as you go. I think it goes back a long way. You know, I spoke about adding different programs into our recruitment um, activity. So, mm. you know, one big change was getting the business to really understand the value of a 12-month placement. Mm. Sometimes it was just see, or a summer placement, it was just seen as back in the day, oh, it'll be somebody who can help out during holidays and, right. you know, cover and things like that. But it's how you... you you know, and getting them to understand, and we had to get some successes of placement students or interns to really be uh, advocates of it within the business and role models for others. So I think many years ago, we had someone who won the intern of the year, Amy Brereton, who's still with us now, I was with her yesterday, and she was one of our big successes of someone who did a placement with us when Mm -hmm. placements weren't part of the curriculum, so she created it herself. Right. Um, did the year with us, went back to university, was a campus brand manager for us, was talking about a success, then came back, promoted to um, an assistant manager before she actually joined us, again after graduation. And it's people like that, that, and we used to talk about her as the one success, and now there's just, that is real common within within the business, and it's part of our whole succession program and so, so you need to find someone basically that if you want to guess inspire change like that yeah you've almost got to try and justify to the business that it, it does work before you can suddenly implement something that they're unsure about yeah totally so it would have been e- it's easy for me to go out well, it's difficult for me to go out and start saying oh do this do this do this this is what will happen but if you yeah. actually get an employee who's done it their line manager who's seen the success of it the recruiter who's again seen the success of it and start talking about that then that can help change people's minds and it's like seeing it act, the practicality of it actually working does does um help with that change i suppose the difficult when you're the difficulty when you're making changes is to know which changes you should make and when you you know experiment with something whether you yeah. should keep that or you shouldn't keep it and um, I think that's one of the things I suppose that a volume recruitment allows you to do it allows you to do variance testing on different uh, models have you got any examples of things that you've tested out at some point that um, you've been able to do that you've then later implemented and kept yeah so place? you know the graduate recruitment process is quite traditional so it's like you have to complete your application form and then it might be a robot that looks at it or or whoever but we take a lot from seeing what happens in other businesses volume recruitment as well so you know we look at other big businesses and companies that are doing volume recruitment how they do it and what's changing there so you you'll see a lot of you know, chatbots are a big thing that is happening, you know, outside of the graduate world at the moment, but I'll predict that that will come in at at some stage. And um, so it was a lot of companies were like, well, let's do away with the application form because it's causing people don't want to complete it. It's taken a lot of time. Um, They'll get halfway through it. Then they won't finish it. I'm still to date to find a great ATS that will allow you to complete your application form from 
a mobile device. You know, everything's yeah. quite traditional. It's all got to be done on yeah. on a desktop. So um, two months ago, we were like, we scrapped application forms. So we scrapped introduced... application forms. Wow. Goodbye. So how does that work? Goodbye. Yeah. <laughs> so we gave the option. So candidates now have the option to... They just quick apply with us. So we get okay. their name contact details and the job that they're applying for now they can still at that point complete the application form or they can complete the quick apply and then we will connect with them have a conversation and and see where where that goes so um that's one big change that we found we've seen some really dramatic results yeah what do those results look like so you know, we'd look at everything data-wise. We look at people mm-hmm. who started an application, didn't complete it, those that self-selected out of the process. And we've just seen a massive drop in the number of incomplete applications. So the numbers that started it then didn't finish it. We've mm-hmm. seen nearly over the last 30 days about an increase in 1,500 people that have applied to us so when I talk about apply I'm including quick apply versus March last year so it's just giving us a load more people and to have start having conversations with and these might be 1500 people that maybe in previous years might have completed half of the application form and then not and then going to an abyss and you never you never speak to them again so these are ones that so we've seen a massive increase in that we've seen over the last month globally nearly a drop of about 1,500 in um, self-select outs. And that's because of another addition we bought in about three months ago, which was Text Recruit. Yeah, so Text Recruit. Text Recruit. Clues in the na- the clues in the names. <laughs> I can imagine, but... I don't like Teletext Recruit. Yeah. 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 I'm a Teletext. Yeah. Do you want the bamboozle? bamboozle? I can I tell you, game, my so. claim to fame at uni was I could name most... Page. If they gave me a random page, I could tell you what, right. what it was. BBC weather. BBC weather. <laughs> was it? No, no d- I, I was. Sport football was three o two. Yeah. Regional football was three ninety, maybe on BBC. <laughs> I don't think anyone's checking. Really. <laughs> but. But anyway, okay. sorry we digress. But so, yeah, so it's text not re- teletext recruit. It's, it's not teletext. It's SMS recruits, which we can do direct from our ATS. ISIMs, so you can okay. directly SMS or recruit candidates to, and it's been amazing. What so, does that, like, the process look like? So, I go do the quick apply type thing. You've then got my details. You know the job that I'm looking for or interested in. Yep. Then we um, we can either email them out, going, "Hey, we got your information. Here's our application form. Do you want to complete it?" We can pick up the phone to them have a conversation going, we've got your quick details, it'd be great if you can complete the application form, or if you wanted to come and have a a further chat with us, I'm going to be at this university on this date, Um, you can then, or we will text recruit them, saying, um, just sending them a text going, we've got your application form, it'll be great to, you know, we've got your quick apply, do you want to complete your application? So it just gives more options to us yeah, and to yeah. the candidate. So it gets more people what in the top of the funnel, do. and then yeah. it gives you the opportunity yeah. to then help people understand the business, who you are, what you do, and then yeah. it ultimately gets more people to apply and yeah. want to work in the business. And we've seen, um, you know, and candidates get the option to opt out if they don't want that. We've only, you know, we've seen only 2% decide that they want to opt out of, of that mm. text recruit. So 
Um, but yeah, it's just allowing us to have a more open talent pool at, at the start and to be able to have conversations with people because, and it also allows people to just connect initially off the mobile device, which they couldn't do before. So yeah, yeah, it removes a barrier to entry, doesn't it? It makes it easier to yeah. It, I, people would also refer to this as register your interest. Correct. Um, yeah, because we, we've kind of done a load of that with with clients. And you can see like there's such a big difference because you get so many young people visit your website. Mm-hmm. It's a bit like taking a flyer out on campus. You never quite know what's going to happen to that yeah. afterwards. And yeah. you don't quite know all the people that have visited your website. But now, if you get yeah. to quick, quick apply, then yeah. all of a sudden you've got a snippet of their details. Then you've got them as part of your database. So it's almost yeah. like a data-driven approach. Um, now, the interesting thing is everyone's saying that they don't want to complete their applications. and But we have actually seen an increase in people completing their application (laughs) (laughs) at that first stage. So work it out. So everyone will say they don't want to do it and candidates don't want to do it. And it's a barrier to getting people into your process. But since we've given them options, it's now given us more completed applications. So that's the thing that you know, you've then got to go back and sort of get your data, as you say, start getting in the little lab, looking at all your research, the data, use your candidates as a, as a, get some of them together as a thought tank and thought, okay, Mm. we gave you this option. Why has this changed? Why has that changed? Use some of your new hires to sort of look at what did you think to quick apply? Did it work? And just using people in your, in your process, if they're open to it, to um, help you really understand some of the nuances or how a candidate is thinking when they're when they're yeah. applying to you it comes part of the, the nurturing process basically because mm-hmm. all of a sudden you've you can reach out to them and a lot of them might just think yeah i signed up but i'm not actually that interested and they were never going to apply anyway yeah so it doesn't really matter with those yeah but i think what you have the opportunity to do is actually say to them would like you know we're going to be out on campus like you said we're going to be here would you like to read this bit of content, here's a case study, here's a video. So the other thing that, yeah, and we're going to use from that. So it's like you've got all these people now. Um, Yeah, it's a challenge. So the big challenge is now is with our team, how do we contact them all? How are we going to interview them all? How are we going to get in touch with them? So it's like, well, why don't we do a podcast or webinar or, or something that we can then send to this group of quick apply people that can maybe help answer questions and give them more information so now that we've got them I suppose within our within our system what do we do with it and how do we um, just make the most of them coming into our process because the last thing we want to do is then just automatically be a big rejector again so it's sort of like that's the worst thing you can do is that you've got all these people in yeah you don't do, you know you don't pick up the phone to them you don't send them a text you don't do whatever and then that's their association with our brand and then potentially they'll be a future customer and if they all they remember is how badly they were treated at the application stage yeah. that's you know will they ever um, rent a car with us okay, yes yeah, so that brings us on to kind of like how um, one success can create um, new challenges mm-hmm. but in terms of like this laboratory thing what we're saying is with volume recruitment, you can make a change like this, give people various options of how they can get involved, either just straight away do the quick apply or, or the full application. And um, you have the advantage that within one cycle, you can have enough data to be really sure that something works or doesn't. Whereas a much smaller recruiter 
could, might give the option, but you wouldn't have enough data. It wouldn't be statistically accurate. Yeah, it's just little changes that we've done. So if someone does fill in the quick apply and we're then sending them an email or text, we'll ask them to complete the demographic form or the application form. And because we get so many applications, we just change the link around. So it could be on a certain group that you've got, they'll get the just in order of what it comes, the link to the demographic versus the link to the application form. And is okay. is something being first choice the one that gets completed or will they do both or will they just oh, okay. do one or will they do the other? So there is testing on whole re- on every part. On every part. On. And, you know, because ultimately you do need, you know, we do need something on file for someone's application. And it's just, just it is really interesting data just to see what they do, um, how they do it and when they do it and you know we used quick apply as well because it's really difficult for emails and it is something that you know other graduate recruiters faced is that trying to get you know your emails to go from your ATS it can be blocked by universities it can be seen by spam it depends what's in the the subject line and we've just seen with uh, the text recruit that has really helped us with our you know like I said earlier we've had less people self-select out we've had more people complete the application form we've had less um, people not turn up for interviews or assessment centers because it's just a one click you know it appears on your phone whereas with an email you've got to physically go in sometimes to then check it and reply to it so We've almost gone full circle haven't we yeah because where sms used to be the way to communicate 100 and how many characters do you used to have with an SMS? 150? 150. Yeah, yeah. 150. You used to put like two maximum. HX for thanks. And yeah. You have to really kind of utilise your characters. Yeah. yeah, maximum 15 text messages in my first phone. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it is, it's just interesting. There's loads of different um, data analysis that, that we can do. So I've just had some more today. So again, every month fresh. we look at fresh data. fresh data. So everyone's going to your website from, from your mobile. Well, our data shows that we're still getting more people visiting our website from a desktop than from the mobile. So right. um, it's just interesting data. And that was compared to March 2018, where it's only 1% or 2% difference, but still interesting um, stuff on the way that people yeah. are, are searching for for your website but is that because they're going straight from a job board which is, you know there's loads of different potential reasons why why it could be but then that's where we start getting in the lab and starting seeing where are the people coming from initially um, or before they even reach the website so what yeah. site have they come from have they come from a job board did they go direct there did they go from a consumer site because yeah loads of different things good reference to the lab as well yeah so mm. on, on trend with yes. the topic um, <laughs> it was that piece of paper you kept holding up saying lab <laughs> yeah, say just trying to justify it um with you mentioned like you, you're using a lot of this data that's helping drive you make the strategic decisions yeah have you got any other good examples of decisions you've, you've made based on utilising all this data and almost split testing as you go? Yeah, we look at loads of data, you know, for our universities, we really analyse where are university, you know, where are people applying to us from? So are they applying for a job um, at Enterprise at the university that they went, you know, they live, they studied at? Are they applying for a job where they actually live? So we look at all of that data and really it helps us work with different universities so 
Um, for example, Leicester University, we know that mm-hmm. people that apply to Enterprise who've gone to Leicester University apply for jobs all over the UK, whereas with Montfort University, there's a lot of people who go to that university that will apply for jobs in and around the Leicestershire region. So mm-hmm. that helps our strategy when we're going in talking to the to the universities about local versus national opportunities. Um, so will you it help from your pitch basically? Yeah, and you've got to sort of change really what what you're talking about. And it, is there a lot of you know? Do we need to go to DMU and really start talking about you can get jobs all across the country? Yes, because that's what we need further down in their career. But is it a big focus? there and you know there and then but we we know that there's universities that we have to go not that we have to go to but really helps us fill our opportunities across the UK because people who go to Liverpool are applying for jobs all over the UK. I guess it helps you as well um, with other parts of what you're trying to do so one of the things that um, uh, Mike and um, Rebecca from Grad Consult who were very good friends of ours excellent yeah so they were talking (laughs) they were talking about um um, the mobility of students and like exactly what you're saying some universities promote a greater wide, um, wider range of um, physical mobility of people but also social mobility so particularly at universities some of the universities you mentioned earlier they tend to have a, a makeup of people from uh, lower socioeconomic groups yeah. and some of the um, more traditional or um, Russell Group universities will have a uh, children from or young people from a uh, higher socioeconomic group yeah and that's pretty interesting if for example you've got um as part of your diversity is to reach people from a particular background then that can help inform that which universities you can go to and so you've got that information that um, i'm sure loads of um other employers would be really interested in in, in finding yeah, out. yeah and i heard your podcast the other week really looking at you know bame recruitment and the the pay, you know, the pay gap, the ethnic pay gap, the ethnic yeah, pay gap right. that's that's likely to, you know, to be out over the next couple of years, and it's working with the universities to really understand the makeup of their students mm. and where are they coming from, what you know, what's their background, uh, you know, what percentage are from a lower social economic background, and we work and have really good partnerships with with the universities that really helps us on that, and I know I've mentioned De Montfort, but. Again, with us, we're going, we've just taken a cohort of their students. We're in Paris with them at the moment, who are from a, you know, a lower social economic background that would never usually get that opportunity Mm -hmm. to go and see a big global employer because not every employer goes to, goes to that university. But if that's, you know, if you're looking to really increase your, um, the part, you know, your talent from as wide a background as possible, then you've really got to be going to more universities than your 10 to 15 uh, that you've been traditionally going to because your, you know, your pipeline's going to be the same as it was over the past three to four years. Although it is changing. Yeah. There is a lot of change. How do you do that? Because you've sat here and gone, we take on, what, 1,300, 1,400 people. Yeah. You're talking about really specific partnerships with certain universities and... That obviously takes time and effort. Yeah. Your structure is you can have you got lots of teams locally to support this, haven't you? Yeah, so we're we're really a very decentralized business mm-hmm. and we've got eight regions. Each region has its own recruiting function as such, and then yeah. I oversee that. But totally impossible for one person or two people to do all of that because 
you know, there's events going on at every university. So our culture yeah. is everyone's a recruiter at Enterprise. Everyone's talking about it. You know, you've got to have at careers fairs different people from from the business there. So um, we have campus brand managers, our placement students, interns. We've had our general manager. Um, from our northeast region, go to Bradford University. Yeah, He's good. how do you prepare people for that? Is there some kind of you know like official preparation, or it's kind of like you know chat to them on the phone, explain, explain to them the types of things they might expect? When, it's part of the culture, I guess, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I mean, they've been hired from that route. A lot of students, so we do. You know, with our campus brand managers, they all get. Formal training on, you know, if you're going to a university, this is how to, you know, what we expect at a careers fair or if you're doing a skills session. But, you know, students don't want to listen to to me or to one, you know, they want to hear from people who've either done the programme, what they've enjoyed about it, what they've disliked about it. And then they can make their own decision as if, is this something that I want to pursue or or not pursue but yeah we it is like you know like you said ollie it is very much ingrained within within the culture and everybody has started as a management trainee so they they know they're able to talk about it yeah people could do the same thing but not they would have a smaller proportion of their employees who'd be able to do it but you could still do the same thing where yeah and that's what we look at you know you a lot of employers today will go out and the degree's the degree but it's like what else have they done that uh, throughout university that makes them maybe stand out or how have they used the experience and if you know you're going and you're working with different societies or you're working with volunteering teams or you're working with people who have been brand ambassadors for for the university if you stop doing that and take that away from them when they join the business then they you know that's the reason they've joined you is because you've spoken about it and talked about it and then if you take it away you're not really living up to some of the promises that you've you've said you do so you know our pride events and anything that we do we try and involve students or our employees that are either alumni of that university to really go out and help in the local communities because that's what we talk about and that's where we're hiring them from and you can't really take it away when they join and I guess from a decentralized approach that allows you to be more localized because everyone's from a certain region yeah all know the certain universities so to have such great touch points and great relationships but I understand it's really difficult if you are a two or three person team you know how are you going to get to different universities across the country and how are you going to try and widen up you know who you're going to visit um but just try it with one or two different universities so we're going to do something different we're going to work with Kingston University this year we're going to work with um Salford University because you know, there's great talent that goes to, to all universities yeah, and if you are open-minded to, and you don't have to go out and change everything overnight but just try it with one or two and, and just see what happens. Yeah. So um, are there any tips you've got for anybody in terms of how you might reduce the number of applications and therefore the number of rejections you have to... Yeah, so there is tips, and I think that's something that we're going to have to look at because ours is, I mean, we have got the business need, but we are getting a lot of applications at the moment. But 
just try and make your website as transparent and as honest as it possibly can be. So mm-hmm. when people are going there, they can make an informed decision as to, yes, this is what I want or no, it isn't what I want. Have your you know, employees, we do a lot of work on social media, all of our campus brand managers, our interns, our management trainees, right up to our general manager, mm-hmm. are talking about a lot of the things that they do. And it isn't from your corporate website or anything like that it's just like real life stuff that that we're doing every day and for some people yeah I'd love to get involved in that for for others not and you've got to be there on all of the different channels that are out there not just your website because someone when they go to your website will then go and check okay what's their Facebook page look like will then go and check something else and so you've got to be consistent but you've also got to try and be honest in in what you're talking about because the last thing you want is someone joining and it happens and the the job isn't what they thought it was going to be so how do you stop that then because it must be quite for one one hand it's like quite empowering to think everyone can get involved whether it's all the different social platforms go onto campus you know we've got this reality culture we want everyone to be part of it but you must have some issues there that some people might have not the right message or tone of voice or yeah it's like just filtered somehow (laughs) well it isn't, it isn't. And there is challenges to it. So, you know, if I'm on a train or just on a, if I'm on a train or just looking at my phone and I start trawling through social media, I'm like, yeah. oh no, someone's put yeah. all of their sales figures on the, you know, on there. Or, right. oh no, you know, you just start seeing stuff and you're like, you know, there was one once where there was six guys all smoking cigars going, hey, what a great company this is and this was (laughs) you know this was five years ago six years ago when we first started doing it and it's like well that really isn't our culture and it's sort of like you know and a lot of the time there isn't necessarily a police that is you know this best practice and everything like that but again we sort of are a bit transparent sometimes to our own not Mm. So what would you do Always there? You take, take that down after it's been put up. To yeah, say it wasn't I, quite right. that's a coaching opportunity. Yeah, that's so cool. we, I think that's the other way around. So I think some uh, listeners will think our corporate comms team would not let us even get anywhere near that, so they wouldn't be even considering it. But yeah. you've almost flipped that round to say yeah, let's yeah. empower them. So and basically, then, anyone uh, who, who has access to your social media, like basically anyone, well, they can tag in at our Iraq jobs, right? Okay. And that's sort of everybody talks about that. Everyone does it on on. Twitter and they've all got maybe something that they might have Iraq in their handle or something like that so there's two or three of us that have access to the official uh, enterprise thing but there's a lot of other people that are either adding on to it or talking about it so it's very easy to find find stuff about enterprise and you just sort Mm. but it is you know it is a coaching opportunity yeah we'd love you to talk about everything that's going on and um, you've done this and you've had a really successful month but is it great to be putting up your sales figures and, you know, X, Y, Z stuff? So it's just okay, sort of... Yeah. But yeah. One of the things we spoke about off air earlier, which would be kind of cool to touch on, is um, how some of these um, things that you've been doing have helped you with um, societies in particular for yeah. LGBT+. Plus. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that is, again, building up so relationships with different... Um, universities, different societies. So I actually head up the 
enterprise um, network, which took a lot of thinking to call Enterprise. <laughs> so, okay, very good. Yeah, very, yeah, like yeah, yeah, it's very oh, good. Yeah. Often I don't. <laughs> 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 he genuinely did get that. And then, so yeah, so I, so that's a big passion of mine anyway. So I work a lot with our teams across the UK to really, you know, talk about that and what we do and build up a lot of different relationships with um, different people in the industry. So there's different websites or job boards or different communities such as Stonewall that you can really get involved in. Mm. And they've got really good links with with the universities. And so we were at a university a couple of months ago and it was just something really simple. We took a load of our lanyards which have the, the rainbow flag on them one of the students at the university saw them and was like, oh, do you do, do you have your own LGBT um, committee? And then a conversation just got going. So he's coming into our office next week. We're doing a piece of work with with um, some media and it's just going to be a Q&A about what's it like to, because there's loads of research that's out saying, um, students, LGBT plus students, when they join a business, go back into the closet. So we're just going to have a an interview as him as a student, me as a as an employer, just talking about that and how um, what businesses need to do, um, why do students feel that way, and hopefully just dispel some of that have research myths about it. Yeah, and then get it mm-hmm. out there. So, and then it's things like that that help you build links with other university. Um, society so that society has got a really good network in the London region with other LGBT plus societies at different universities so they're going to get as links with with the different you know leaders of those societies and um, again just from relationships with different um, different universities but it doesn't always work so you can do have an amazing year you can have some real success with it um, and then some things are just completely out of your control. If the yeah. society has a really poor succession plan, they've just got third years involved in it who will leave university, you're just then starting right back from scratch from, from day one again the following year. So, you know, just because something works really well one year doesn't always mean it's going to work well the next mm-hmm. year. But try not to, to give up on it. It's like, OK, let's work with that society throughout the year to see what succession plan they've got in place, how are they going out to bring more first and second years on board. So they really understand the importance of of that within, and that's things that they'll take back into business as well. So it's about the conversations that you have with them. Yeah, it's all well and good just rocking up and giving pizzas out, but is that going to help you long-term or is it just going to get you two highs for that year? And that's how sometimes you need to think about it. Okay. So um, are, there, are there any questions that we haven't asked you yet that we should have asked you? You've asked me nothing about football, um, <laughs> but that's one thing I know about, apart from my CFAX knowledge. Um, I think, you know, really working with your partners that help you with your websites and your media partners, you know, again, it's like... Asking the questions, what's working, what doesn't work, what pages are, you know, are, are people visiting, how long are they spending on, on a certain site or a certain, or certain page on the site or a certain piece of content or blog. So, mm-hmm. you know, we know from, from our website are people searching or we look at are people searching by 
job, job title? Yeah. How are they typing in that particular job title? Or are they looking at, you know, location? Is that more important to them when they when they get a job and where are people coming from versus where do they then want to go and work at you know what part of the country do they want to go and work so you know that would be one thing that I would do if you're a volume recruiter there's so much data within your within your website that you can really use to try and um, help shape your website for next year so if a page is working really really well optimize it more and make sure that you're getting more fresh content on there if it's not working well you know, you've got to make the decision, is that because it's just a, not a good page or it's because it's something that students are interested in? And, you know, get yourself a, a bunch of, you know, students that have expressed an interest or not expressed an interest. Ask your cohort of new starters, what did you like, what did you dislike about the website? And they can really help shape it. Yeah, so almost continually optimising, yeah. almost as you go, as well as, as a recap afterwards. Mm, yeah. But much more succinctly, well done. Thank you, Wallace. (laughs) (laughs) So I guess as a bit of a recap then, so what have we learned today? Uh, I guess volume recruitment allows variance testing, which uh, comes back to the recruiter's laboratory uh, title. So I think the whole idea is you you can make quite powerful changes within a cycle, whether it's uh, continuously as you go or maybe afterwards as a uh, campaign assessment at, at the end. I think today we've spoken a lot about how enterprise have really increased completed applications through a couple of really unique quick apply and text recruitment uh, initiatives yeah. that you've you've spoken about. But also I think the value of having a data-driven approach and using that data to think about the mobility of students, how that approach then takes that out onto campus and working with specific universities and your messaging can change because you're learning and listening to, I guess, what's happening uh, as you go. Is that everything from the recap? Anything else we've learned? I think that's a pretty good summary. Yeah, I think you've done pretty well. <laughs> wasn't looking for compliments, but I'll take the compliments really good at as recap. they go. <laughs> you are. Well, anything about the frying pan you wanted we haven't to spoken really? spoken to the frying pan. Uh, I mean, Is the frying pan happy? It looks pretty happy. It does. Well, it's his first egg in it. So. Um, it's hot you, enough in here to fry. It probably is. It's hot enough. I mean, in case anyone hasn't heard from the frying pan... <laughs> there you go. You can now hear from the frying pan. Easy glide frying pan. Yeah, it's not non-stick. It's never stick. Never stick. I mean, that is the beauty behind this uh, easy glide frying pan. This is how bored they are of me. We're talking about frying pans. <laughs> to be fair, we spoke about like was it your pod or Helen's pod going to get more? I think back? I think the frying pan could be the difference she between mine and Helen Alkins' pod. Um, <laughs> I think I've beaten you, Helen. (laughs) (laughs) And do do you have any final top tips for people? Um, Yeah, just some of the top tips are really just, you know, try and build partnerships. Make sure if you're, you know, working with universities, you're looking at really the long-term partnership with universities. Um, I, you know, if you're looking to widen up your pool of talent, I think try and, you know, visit universities that, that you've never gone to before mm-hmm. um, and just have conversations with them and, and see if there's, there's things that the universities are doing that align with some of your own values within, within your business. And you don't know unless you, unless you try it. And, you know, other, other top tips are really using the data that, you know, your media partners will give you mm-hmm. to see what's working, what isn't working, and um, just if you do the same thing you always have done, you're always going to get the same results. Yeah. 
What an ending. Yeah, what a great ending. <laughs> Thank you very that much was, for... Was that quite motivational, yeah? <laughs> oh, yeah, very good, yeah. With the yeah. Uh, deadpan faces. Well. <laughs> Thank you very much for coming along, Ash. It's been great to have you on. I've actually really enjoyed it. Thank you. <laughs> and, yeah, it's been great just to, to chat. Well, yeah, thank you very much. Um, and I guess that is us. Yeah. So uh, thank you all for listening. Uh, I've been Ollie. And I've been Jack. And I've been Ashley. And this has been The Frying Pan. See you next week. Great. For all things early career recruitment, the strategies to help you succeed will help you work with Generation Z. With all the information that you'll need, it's the Jack and Ollie Show.